Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Kind of a different kind of series. We've been uh, on the subject of According to Jim. I didn't wear my plaid shirt today to fit in, but those of you who watched the show know that it's kind of about this guy, and it's they don't lack they lack a lot of wisdom, just common sense wisdom, and so we've been dealing with this concept of, uh, according to Jim, just practical advice for practical living, because what Jim tells us in the New Testament, what I've discovered is that most of us don't fashion, don't form, and don't live our life according to the instructions that Jim has given us. Therefore, we find ourselves in some sticky situations, whereas if we would have just lived according to what Jim had said from the beginning, we wouldn't be in those situations, and we've dealt with a whole bunch of different things, and today we're in uh, Jim chapter 3 as we move through the book, and, and so I just encourage you this morning to, if you would, take your Bibles, or you can read it on the screen. We're going to go into Jim chapter 3. Uh, I think there's three sections that we're going to deal with and uh, learn from, some real practical things that He wants us to know individually. He wants us to know corporately. So Jim chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Out of the Message Bible, it says it like this, Don't be in a rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. So the first practical thing that Jim teaches us is this. According to Jim, position envy is misguided. See, what I've discovered is I've been in church, I guess, all of my life now and, and worked at several different churches and been around a bunch of different churches and been around a lot of believers. And what I've discovered is that, is that in most bodies there is this position envy that takes place. The truth is it doesn't just happen at church. It happens in your workplace. It happens at school. It happens in your neighborhood where we long so much for some reason we get envious of position and we want to be in control. We, we come to this mentality that what we need to do is we begin to think like this. I can do things better than what the leader's doing it. And if they would let me be in control, I could, I'm, I'm so much smarter. I'm so much more talented. I have so much more skill. I have so much more experience in that area. Even though God hasn't pointed his finger at me and put me in charge, I ought to be head honcho. And if they would just listen to me. I know that doesn't happen where y'all work, but it happens. We always think we can run things better than the person running it. Even though Scripture clearly teaches us this truth, our gift makes room for us. 
We don't have to pull strings. We're not supposed to manipulate. We're not supposed to twist. We're not supposed to work behind the scenes. The Bible clearly states that we will become elevated in leadership as our gift makes room for us. And so Jim says that we cannot become envious of position because what we fail to realize and what we fail to consider is that with leadership, according to Jim, comes high and strict standards. See, the truth is, is that we all want to be in control. We just don't want to pay the price. We just don't want to live up to the standards. If you don't believe there are any standards for those that are in leadership or those that are, quote, in control, take some time this week and go read through First and Second Timothy and go into Titus and learn what Paul says about leaders, how high they have to live, what standards they have to live up to, what, what stipulations are placed on whether or not you can be a leader. Those in leadership have, have been called to live at a higher, a stricter, a harsher Standard, And so we must be careful and we cannot become envious of position because along with every position of leadership comes high standards. And so if you're not willing to live up to the standards, guess what? You don't need to be a leader. Oh, that went over huge. If you're not willing to do the necessary work, if you're not willing to be diligent, if you're not willing to be faithful to your spouse, if you're not willing to pay your tithes, if you're not willing to be faithful in attendance, if you're not willing to get all of your life in order according to Scripture, if you're not willing to live up to those kind of standards, then quit being envious of everybody else being in leadership because if you're not living by those standards, you don't deserve to be in leadership. And so we shouldn't complain about the standards if we want or if we have accepted leadership. It's part of the package. It's a package deal. If you step up to the plate to be a leader, it's part of the package deal. And so we cannot be envious. And so as followers, because not everybody's called to be a leader. There are some folks that are supposed to be followers. As followers, what that means is, is that we should hold our leaders to a higher standard. But, there's, there's an important part of that that we've already talked about out of chapter 2 is that at the same time, we judge, but we judge with mercy. Leaders are held to a higher standard, but as followers, we are obligated to walk behind them and follow them and understand that they're held to a higher standard, yes, and we don't make excuses for their faults, and we don't just walk past them and we don't just cover them over and we don't just ignore them but we do judge differently we judge with mercy because the second thing that Jim teaches us is this and I don't like this one but it's true according to Jim even your pastor will blow it you say well I didn't need Jim to tell me that well okay that's fine uh, that's all right but I just want to remind you that according to what Jim says here, he says that none of us, none, in Greek that means none. It's profound. None. I taught you that in, in Greek all means what? All. Well, in Greek none means none. Nobody. Not one is perfect. And so what he says is that even your pastor will blow it. See, that is important for me to say to you because what that does is that realization, if you can grasp that, what that will do is that will end uh, having roast pasta for lunch. And y'all don't do that much around here, but I know y'all been to some churches that do that. 
as soon as lunch starts, you start talking. Y'all ain't never been a part of church like that, but I have been. And, and, and it will stop this concept of tearing down leaders because most bodies, that's what they do. In America, we don't trust leaders. In fact, we're suspicious of leaders. We don't trust anybody, and that bleeds over into the body and into church, and we wouldn't trust a pastor or a leader. If you paid us money, if you could convince us they'd never messed up, we would still, in the back of our mind, have this element and seed of suspicion. But if you just recognize from the beginning that every leader is going to blow it at some point, it would cause you to deal with us in mercy. We all need mercy. Jim says it like this. He says, we're all going to misspeak at some point. This is true regardless of what organization or what church or what job or what school you go to. At some point in that time that you're there, you are going to come into a situation where the leader, the person that is communicating, is going to say something that is wrong. See, communication is made up of two parts. It's comprised of what someone actually says, and then it is mixed with what someone actually hears, and they never hardly ever meet. That I can say one thing, and we can go out of this room, and 30 of you will all have 30 different things that I said, and it's all about the same thing. You'll never, because you filter it. And so we try to communicate effectively, but Jim is saying you've got to judge with mercy because no one communicates effectively all the time. In fact, miscommunication has even happened here. I know that's beyond your belief, but it has. It happens. I want to say something to you this morning, and I want you to hear me very carefully. I, 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 there is no doubt that if you stay in this church long enough, at some point I will offend you. I'm good with that because it's going to happen whether I want it to happen or not, all right? It just happens. It's life. Okay, but take the filters off. Everybody undo your filters for a moment. I want to make sure I clearly communicate this so that you hear exactly what I say. I am good with offending your comfort zone, and I am certainly good with offending your sin. I got no problem if something I say say makes you mad because it pinpoints one of the sinful areas of your life. I'm good with that. Get mad all you want to. It wasn't my word anyway. It was his word. If something I say causes you to stretch and to think differently and have to come out of your comfort zone and make you hang around people you wouldn't normally hang around and associate with people, that's all right. I'm all right with that. What I'm not all right with is, is, is I try to pick my words carefully and I think through what I'm going to say, and I try to do my very best so that all I offend is your comfort zone, and all I offend is your sin, but I don't offend you to the point that it breaks relationship. There is a difference. And so I'm trying to be careful. But, now listen, the truth be told, because we filter communication, there is a very good chance that in my attempts to offend your comfort zone and in my attempts to offend your sin, at some point I'm going to offend you bad enough that you want, you're going to want to walk out and never come back. And according to Jim, guess whose responsibility it is to offer grace and mercy? Yours. It goes back to what I talked about last week just a little bit. It goes back to this concept of giving people the benefit of 
the doubt. Don't read more into it. Don't think, I, I'm just picking on you. I'm trying to help you all this morning. This is good practical wisdom. you got to listen differently. Jim goes on and he says this in verse 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Message Bible, just a portion. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. By our speech, listen to this phrase, by our speech we can ruin the world turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, and send the whole world up in smoke. So, according to Jim, there's a lesson here. He teaches us that according to Jim, we were lied to on the playground. Because on the playground, what I was taught was, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. But Jim is saying that words are some of the most powerful, most destructive and constructive forces in the world. He, he says that, that our words actually shape and actually frame and actually construct our life. We, we don't understand the power of words. We just talk without thinking. But Jim says you need to stop just a second and hesitate just a moment because out of your mouth comes this God ability. I don't understand. I know that in Genesis, God spoke and the world came into existence, so there was power in his words. Somehow that power has been shifted over into our mouths, and now we have this uncanny ability to be able to shape people's lives and to frame our situations and our, and our environments by the very words that come out of our mouths. There's power in our words. But there's also not only the power to build, there's the power to destroy, and there's the power to tear down, and there's the power to deconstruct things 
every time we open our mouth. If you don't believe that, you go find a little kid who when he was about three years old, his daddy or his mama looked at him and said, you're nothing. You're good for nothing. I didn't want you. You were an accident. You were a mistake. You go find them 30 years later and see them in counseling and see their life destroyed. Find them in bars. Find them addicted to drugs. Find them in destructive relationships. All traced back to what somebody said to them. There are power. There is power in our words. This ability to construct and deconstruct. So Jim is teaching us that we must guard our tongue and what we say. In other words, it's our responsibility to stop and consider the pain or the pleasure that our words create. In other words, Jim is giving us some very practical advice. Here you are. Here's what he said. He said, be a mouth manager. Manage your mouth and what you say. Hear the weight of the statement that he says. He says, with your words, you can run the world. That's pretty significant. You mean if I say something, the world's going to come crashing down, the sky's going to quit being blue, the sun's going to fall? No, but you can run the world around you. You can destroy what's around you. Then he says, not only can you run the world, he says, you can disrupt harmony. Ever met anybody that every time they walk in the room and open their mouth, they disrupt harmony? Power in our mouths. He says, you can destroy a reputation. I know you know what that's like. One word can undo all the hard work that you've been putting in to develop and protect your reputation. In one fleeting moment, somebody can say one word, make one accusation, and your reputation can be destroyed forever. Now, understanding that, what should happen? That should cause us to pause and choose our words with supreme care. Because remember, we control somebody's harmony and we can destroy somebody's life by what we say. See, there's this truth that I want to share with you. As Americans, we enjoy this liberty that I'm so thankful for and will vote to protect and will fight for. It's called the freedom of speech. I'm so glad that as Americans, we have the right to say anything we want to say. But I just need to inform you that your Christianity trumps the fact that you're an American. Just because you're an American and have freedom of speech and can say anything you want to say as a Christian that trumps that right and now you no longer have the right to say anything that goes through your mind because some of us have some crazy things that go through our minds. I know I'm not alone. Our Christianity is supposed to build in a filter and build in this moment where we count the cost and we weigh what damage or what great things our words are going to do and we count that before we ever speak and our Christianity is more important at that moment than us being an American and just because we have the right to say it doesn't mean we are supposed to say it. We must have a filter. Have you ever heard of a dramatic pause? Anybody ever heard of that phrase that it's preachers use it to catch your attention like I just did. We, we, it happens in movies. There's this 
big impending scene, and all of a sudden there's this pause, dramatic pause. I think what Jim is teaching us is that as believers, we have to have a holy hesitation. At the moment that you're about to attack somebody with your mouth, there should be a hesitation. Go, ooh, I better not say that. At the moment that you want to lash out and do damage and, and strike back, at that moment the Holy Spirit ought to blow a whistle in your spirit and all of a sudden you go, I better think about what I'm going to say. Just because it went through my mind doesn't give me the right to say it. Your lips hold back death and they release life. I, I, one of the things I was taught as a young person, I don't remember who taught me this, but there was this thing we used to say. I, I haven't heard this in a long time. I, I think society has moved beyond this now. But if you don't have something good to say, don't say nothing. We don't hear that anymore. Now everybody just says what they want to say, and it's your fault if you don't like it. No, Jim is saying that we've got to guard our mouths because death can come out as easily as life. Then he goes on and he teaches us this, that according to Jim, God hears what we say outside of church. There's a novel idea. Does God hear us when we come to church and we worship and we sing and we praise his name and we shout glory? to Absolutely. Does he hear us when we go through Starbucks and they get our order wrong and we go ballistic on them? Absolutely. God hears what we say outside of church. So Jim is saying that compartmentalizing is not right. There shouldn't be this concept of I talk one way at church and I talk one way at school and I talk one way at church but I talk another way at work and I talk one way at church but I talk a one, another way to my spouse when we're in the privacy of our own house. No, God is saying and Jim is saying that he God absolutely tunes in to everything we say all the time. Just because we put cool worship music to it doesn't mean he listens any more than he does when we're out there in the parking lot talking about what we're talking about compartmentalizing is not right too many of us speak one way at church and then we use the same tongue to talk an entirely different way outside of church and Jim says that's wrong he says that can't happen in fact Jim uh, even goes as far as to deal with language y'all didn't catch that did you he says out of the same mouth come praises and come cursing. He's dealing with our choice of language. That we have to be careful and understand that it, that our praise on Sunday morning at 9.15 when we're in the right environment, when the lights are right, the smoke is right, the music is right, our praise that comes off of our lips does not cancel out and outweigh our cursings. They are equal and God hears them. That's going over huge. See, Jim has already taught us that there's a danger in being double-minded. Remember that? We talked about that. Now he is teaching us that there is also an equal danger called being double-tongued. 
and there is this thing going through the body. I hope it's not happening here, but I know it is happening in a bunch of bodies. I even catch pastors doing it, and I catch pastors' wives doing it on their blog, and I see people doing it on Facebook. There's this ability somehow in their own mind to separate what they do in here with what they do out there, and they would never say in here what they say out there. And Jim is saying, that cannot happen. We ought to talk the same way. The way we talk on Sunday ought to invade the way we talk on Monday. You cannot separate the two. What we say to men actually shows what we think about God. Think about that statement a moment. The way you speak to the grocery checkout person actually reflects what you think about God. How you speak to the referee... I just finished baseball season, and uh, so how you deal with the umpire reveals how you think about God. Because Jim says it like this: He says, "You're speaking to men, and they're made in God's image, and how you speak to them gives us a glimpse of how you view God." Manage your mouth, James chapter three, verse thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Listen to this statement. This statement, I've been chewing on this statement for weeks. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Listen to this in the Message Bible. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. I love this phrase right here. Live well, live wisely, live humbly, period. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not toothpaste. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God, enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. According to Jim, wise people are easy to spot. If you need to hang around people that are characterized by wisdom, they are easy to, easy to spot because he says it like this. You can spot them because they will do three things. They will live well, they will live wisely, and they will live humbly. I think that ought to be on somebody's tombstone. That is a great statement. I hope that when I'm gone on my tombstone, my family can put, he lived well, he lived wisely, he lived humbly. Because in a nutshell, that is wisdom. 
And so sometimes you just don't have to elaborate very much because a lot of us are concerned about our reputation and how people see us and we want people to see us as people of wisdom. Then it's real simple today. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. If you can do those three things, people around you will begin to spot the fact that you are a person of wisdom and they will want to spend time with you. For some reason, this generation has a hard time figuring out who to listen to. They'll take advice from anybody. That's not really wisdom. They have a hard time figuring out who should I give my ear to, who should I listen to, whose counsel should I live my life by. Well, it's real easy. Find somebody, I'm going to keep saying it till you all get it, who lives well, lives wisely, and lives humbly. If they find those, if they have those three characteristics, then you probably ought to listen to them because they are a person of wisdom, according to Jim, and you can fashion your life after them. Come on, say it with me. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. That ought to be our goal right there. The second thing that he says out of this little section is this. And I I need you to listen to this carefully. According to Jim, we can shut the door and keep out the devil. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, you will remember, those of you that have been with us a little while, back in December and in January, we started a series called House. And you will remember that in the course of that series that Woody and I both mentioned the fact that there is a place that can be constructed and a place that can be developed where according to scripture and I want this place by the way that a commanded blessing dwells there remember that passage of scripture I want to have a church that is a church where there is a commanded blessing that sets up residence in our church in our body don't you okay according to Jim there's another kind of residence that can be set up that I don't want nothing to do with and I, we, I bring this to your attention because we've got to keep on guard and we've got to fight against it. And it is, the, is, it is a, the resident evil. I started to call it Hell's Kitchen because it's dealing with ingredients. Because listen to what Jim says. He says that any time you mix envy, let me define envy. Envy is... It's defined as harsh, sharp, cutting, divisive jealousy. So anytime there's envy, and you mix that, according to Jim, when you mix envy with ambition, or in another version, it's called selfish ambition, which is defined as strife, and it carries the meaning of intense rivalry brought on by extreme selfishness, according to Jim... Anytime you mix envy and ambition, the result is disorder, and catch this phrase, every kind of evil. That is an unbelievably frightening statement. Because in the Greek, every means, uh, y'all, y'all, get, y'all becoming Greek scholars, aren't you? It means every. 
Think about this statement now. If you take the component of envy and you put it together with ambition and you mix it up, it produces an environment where every kind of evil can exist. That means if there's envy and, and selfish ambition, there is the ripe atmosphere for murder. There's the ripe atmosphere for promiscuity. There's the right atmosphere for lust. There's the right atmosphere for drunkenness. There's the light, right atmosphere for adultery. There's the light, right atmosphere for gossip. There's the right atmosphere for drunkenness. Anytime you match envy and jealousy or selfish ambition together, it produces an environment that is ripe for all. All of that to go on. And the part that scares me the most about that is that the most, most of the time, the place I find the most envy and the most selfish ambition is at church. And that scares me. And so what I am saying to you this morning is that we must guard ourselves against jealousy and we must guard ourselves from being concerned only about what I want and what I need and I got to get mine on and I got to get my blessing and I got to get my goosebumps. At that moment when you mix those two together, disorder and every kind of evil takes over and I don't want to go to church where every kind of evil takes up residence we must be ruthless and we will be ruthless with these two components I want you to hear me this morning we cannot not just the leadership none of you can stand it either we cannot be easy about envy we got to train ourselves differently. When one of our members gets blessed and drives up in a new car, we cannot even have a fleeting moment of, oh, I, I, I want that so bad I can't stand them. They got what I wanted. That's envy. Somebody got a promotion. Somebody got to ask to sing a special, and I never get to sing. Man, I never get to sing a special. I'm going to tell you right now, that sounds crazy. But there are churches all over America where evil has set up residence inside their four walls on stupid stuff just like that. Pastor talked to them, but he didn't talk to me. And then you match it with selfish ambition, which we already talked about, position envy. And I want to be in control, and I want what's mine, and this is my right, and they didn't do the color of the carpet the way I wanted it, and I've been given to the building fund for 62 years, and if you don't do it the way I want it, Y'all never attended a church like that. That's all right. I understand. But just let me tell you that that cannot happen here. The day will come when we're going to change color of carpet. The day will come when we will do services differently than we probably do them now. We may change songs on you at some point. We may use more smoke, less smoke, colored smoke. We may use purple lights and white lights and... And at the moment that selfish ambition says, I don't like it like that, we open the door to the devil. Let's slam the devil face with the door. And the door is no envy, no jealousy. 
Then he goes on and he teaches us two valuable lessons, and I'm going to be done because this ties into it. Because, see, according to Jim, getting along with one another is hard work. Jim states that our level of wisdom is revealed in whether or not we are willing to work at getting along with one another. He's operating. Now, listen to this. You've got to understand is what he's operating, the premise he's operating from. Here you go. He's working from the premise that some relationships just take work. I'm going to break some news to you. I hate to do this to you on a Sunday morning. I hate to ruin your whole week. Just hang on. Some of you are hard to get along with. I know that's therapy session right there. You're all going to be calling for counseling. Some of us are just extremely difficult to get along with. Now, let me ease it for you. But that's true for everybody with somebody. Don't we all have somebody that just rubs us the wrong way? And it just so happens that some of you are in a church relationship, a Christian relationship with somebody sitting somewhere in this room, or maybe they come to second service because you can't stand them so much you won't come to second service. I don't know what's wrong with you. But, but there are some people that are just hard to get along with. And Jim says that we got to go to work. See, the world would teach us that we shouldn't even try. The world would say, just ignore them. Don't talk to them. Get on the other side of the hallway when they go by. Choose a different service. Don't spend any time with them. Find out if they're going to that small group, and if they are, don't go to that one. Just stay away from them. But Jim says that is not acceptable in the body of Christ. What he says is get busy. He says that what we ought to do is we ought to work at it. He says that we ought to clock in. He says that we ought to determine to make it work. Just because it's hard work does not mean we're off the hook. See, most of the time we don't get along with people because we don't have anything in common with them. But I, I, I want to break something else to you. You've got something in common with everybody that comes to this church and everybody that will come to this church. You ready for the common denominator? Jesus. I may not like how you comb your hair. I may not like the fact that you have hair. I may not like the way you dress. I might not like anything about you. Every time you open your mouth, it might be like somebody taking their fingernails and going down a blackboard. You may get on my last nerve. I know y'all have never had anybody get on your last nerve. But you may get on my last nerve. And Jim says, no excuse. If you want to be wise, work hard at getting along. We let things rupture relationship way too easily. We will throw decade-long relationships away at the drop of a hat just because we're unwilling to work at it. Why are relationships and getting along so important? Well, he tells us because according to Jim, our health is affected and our harvest is affected by our ability to be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Did you catch that? You go back and read it for yourself. But our health as a body is determined by our willingness to work at forgiveness and peace. And our harvest is affected by our ability to be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. See, what we do is we judge the health of a church. I know y'all don't do this, but 
preachers do this. We judge the health of a church by the number of programs they have, by how many people that attend, and by how big their budget is. Y'all don't look at me like that. I know y'all don't ever think about how healthy a church is, but, man, when I drive by a church, if they don't have a parking lot full, I'm unhealthy. Can't be doing right. If they have too many people, all oh, they sold out, compromised. We judge one another. Y'all laughing at me. That's how we work. I'm telling you, it happens. That's how we judge the health of a body. But Jim changes the standards on us. He says that we determine the health of a body by how much peace is there. How well the people that attend get along. So if this room is slam-packed full and we have a million-dollar budget and we got every program under the sun, but y'all hate one another, we're not healthy. If they write about us in Charisma Magazine and put us on TV and people drive for hours to come worship at Passion Church and we've got a congregation of 18,000 in one year, if we hate one another's guts and we don't talk to one another when we see each other at the grocery store and we talk bad one about one another when we get home, then we are not healthy and our harvest will be impacted and affected. And we will not accomplish what God says we should accomplish. So what I'm challenging you today from this simple wisdom and practical advice is that we have to determine to treat each other with dignity and honor. It goes back to house rules. We will respect one another. I challenge you to find the person in this body that rubs you the wrong way I'm going to change the way you think about coming to church right now. I challenge you to find the person that comes to this church too that gets on your last nerve and go to work. Go to work. Learn how to treat them with respect because your harvest depends on it ought to mess with you right there because also what that means is is that if you don't have a harvest if you're not harvesting right now then what's wrong why is it your harvest coming in could it be that your harvest is being affected by your attitude towards people in your family so today Jim does a couple things in this chapter he calls and challenges us to manage our mouths, and then he calls us to manage relationships. Isn't it interesting that those two things are kind of intertwined and connected? That how we use our mouth dictates how healthy our relationships are? Jim's a smart guy. We would do well to listen to him. And wipe out all envy and selfishness from our life. And treat with one another with dignity and honor and respect. And to watch what we say because there's power in our words. And at that moment we develop and build a healthy body. And a body that is ripe to bring in a huge harvest. That's a different kind of church by the way. 
That is not your typical church, I promise you. Because we're more American than we are Christian. Dramatic pause. We're more American than we are Christian. And we want our rights. And I want to say what I want to say and I'll treat you any way I want to treat you. And then I'll worship. Doesn't work that way. Father, very practical, hard-hitting wisdom. My prayer this morning, Father, is twofold. I pray that in this body you would teach us to manage our mouths. I pray that we would learn a a holy hesitation, that if we don't have anything good to say, we won't say it, period. We won't let ourselves off the hook and think, well, I had the right to say anything I want to say. You did? Yeah, we did. Until we bowed our knee to Jesus and asked him to become our Lord. And at that moment, he takes rule and reign not only of our heart, but this evil little thing in our head called the tongue. So, Father, this morning I pray you would manage our mouths. Help us to guard our mouths so that we'll say the right thing at the right time in the right way. I pray you'd remind us that you hear us when we leave this building and you hear what we say to men. You hear the topics of our conversation. You hear, you hear the language we use. And how we speak to people reflects on what we think about you. Secondly, Father, I pray that you'd help us to manage relationships. I come against all envy. I cast it down. I pray that this body would learn to rejoice with those that are being blessed. I pray that when one of our family members is blessed beyond measure, we would not have one moment, not one thought of envy. We wouldn't be jealous at all. Instead, we would jump right in and celebrate the blessings of the Lord on them come against every spirit of envy I cast it down in Jesus name Father I come against selfish ambition this is not about getting on a stage or getting a microphone or getting seen or getting heard this is not about getting a position this is not about us finding our place and and getting our fame and getting our control Father we come against all selfish ambition in the name of Jesus we will not fight over things that do not matter. I pray that would get so practical that we wouldn't care who sits in our chair. And we wouldn't care what color the walls are painted. And we wouldn't care what style is sung. We wouldn't care. All we care about is being in harmony with you and with our brothers and sisters. We come against selfish ambition in the name of Jesus. Help us to manage relationships, I pray, Father. I pray we would do the hard work. We would make up our minds to do our hard work of getting on. Father, it would be easier sometimes just to walk out the door and never come back because they rub us the wrong way. And I understand that. And as Americans, we're taught to flee. We're taught to just go somewhere else. But, Father, as believers this morning, I pray that you would challenge us and we would begin to find those people that rub us the wrong way and we would begin to see the common denominator. And that common denominator is you. 
And although I may like nothing else about them, the fact that they have you in their life makes them my family member. And although I have the right to choose my friends, I do not have the right to choose my family member. I have no say-so in it. And so I pray that instead we would learn to get along even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Father, I pray when you view this church, you would see it as a healthy church, a healthy body of believers that love one another and love you. And I pray that as we face the challenge of bringing people in from apartment complexes and other places in this city that are not like us, don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us, don't dress like us, don't live where we live, don't smell like us, don't like the same kind of music we like. Father, I pray at that moment we would make up our mind and we would be determined that we will not allow that kind of stupid stuff to separate us. But we would work hard at keeping the peace so that our harvest will be great and your kingdom will be expanded. Father, I pray that this truth that you've shared with us today would invade every area of our life, not just our church life, but our home life, our school life, our work life. Our lives would become marked by wisdom. Help us to live well. Help us to live wise. Help us to live humbly. And Father, we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, this is between you and God and me and a few other people, prayer partners that are standing in the room. We don't ever want to end a service without giving you this opportunity. The only reason we're looking at all is because we want to be able to pray for you and we have some material we want to put in your hands. But if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, or maybe you had at one time and, and now you've kind of gone back on that and you want to make sure that everything is right between you and God, if that's you, we won't embarrass you, but we do want to pray with you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and pull it right back down? Is there one? Father, see us as a family this morning. We love you. We're amazed by you. Help us to care for one another, to love one another, to treat one another with dignity and honor because it reflects on how we see you. In Jesus' mighty name we ask. And everybody said, amen. I release you this morning to go to work at getting along. God bless you for being here. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.